Louise Bedford here. Just before we kick off with today's show, I wanted to let you know that for one week only, you can get up to 84% off a selection of my most popular trading education products available through tradinggame.com.au. Make no mistake. Your financial future is in your hands. So check out the audios, videos, and study courses that I have available at tradinggame.com.au. Now's your chance to develop your skills as a trader for up to 84% off, but only for the next week. Let's get on with the show. Hello and welcome to Talking Trading. I'm Caroline Stephen. It's great to have you join us. With two crises in the global stock market last week, China and Greece, we have a special episode today with a panel of experts and their thoughts on the state of the markets. First up, we have Daryl Guppy, CEO of Guppy Trading and a share market analyst and consultant to Chinese state officials. Daryl discusses the causes of the Shanghai market plunge and its effects on Australia. We also hear from Jonathan Barrett, an economist and business news commentator, to discuss China and the drop in iron ore prices. And finally, we hear from Chris Tate with his very direct thoughts on both issues. Daryl Guppy is the inventor of the Guppy Multiple Moving Average, is the author of 12 books on the share market and the CEO of Guppy Traders. Daryl facilitates government organizations engaged with China and he's a regular consultant to Chinese state officials. Last November, Daryl attended the ASEAN conference in Beijing with Xi Jinping, President Obama and Vladimir Putin. Two weekends ago, he discussed and gave advice on the establishment of the Guangzhou Stock Exchange with Chinese officials. If there is anyone who is an expert on China's stock market and its impact on Australia, it is Daryl Guppy. And we discussed with Daryl the current plunge in the Shanghai stock market, what its causes were, and its flow-on effect to Australia. Daryl Guppy, hello and welcome to Talking Trading. It's good to be back. Daryl, China's stock market is in panic. What has caused this state of affairs? The real causes are mechanical rather than structural. So this is not a collapse of the China market driven by some sudden overnight change in fundamentals. There are really four factors that have impacted on the China market and create the volatility. The first is the idea that stocks can only move 10% per day and then they get locked, limit up or limit down. So in a falling market, they might get locked, limit down within the first 10 minutes of trading. So there's a whole lot of people who want to sell and they can't sell. So the next day when the market opens, they offer lower prices just to be able to get out of the stock. So that creates a level of volatility. The second factor is that you can't easily go short. Now, they have introduced shorting on some stocks, but for most stocks, you can't short. The only way you can make money is from the long side. So when you have shorting in the market, it adds a counterbalance. So if you go back to 2008, if you look at the Dow, the volatility in the Dow was less than that in Australia. Australia, you cannot short easily, but you can short. And Australia had less volatility than China, where it took about two years to recover, where you can't short. 
So that's another contributing factor. The, the third factor is the idea that we're going to suspend a whole lot of stocks from trading. That's like Greece closing banks <laughs> because it means I've got an open position and I can't get out of it. There's a chance that tomorrow my stock might be suspended. So the key factor is that I'm worried that the stock that I have an open position in may be suspended tomorrow. Therefore, I will sell today. I'm desperate to get out, so I'll sell at any price. That creates panic. That feeds panic. And then finally, on top of that, trading in China is only for four hours a day, a two-hour session in the morning, a two-hour session in the afternoon. And we've long argued that the trading session should be longer to take that pressure away. I must sell now on the first session because after lunch, things might collapse, etc. So there are structural factors that drive this volatility within the China market. It's an issue I discussed with, uh, with state regulators uh, in Guangzhou last weekend. And what did you say to them? Basically the same sorts of things I'm saying here because they're talking about setting up uh, an alternative Guangzhou financial exchange. And they're saying, how can this be different to what's happening in Shanghai and Shenzhen? And I said, these are some of the limitations on the current exchanges. So, Daryl, what patterns are jumping out from the charts at the moment around China? key pattern at the moment is, A, the fall has been very, very rapid. So areas that we expected would supply support haven't done so. But there is a long-term consolidation that took place between December 2014 and March, March mid-April 2015 between 3,000 and 3,400. Current market has touched the top of 3,400 and has done a rebound. But we expect the market will come back and consolidate between 3,000 3,400. Now, here's the interesting stuff. We know that there's been a big flow of foreign funds coming into China since November. There is a good indication that many of the foreign funds began to sell very quickly after the market hit 5,000 and moved slightly above it. There is also now a very strong indication that those funds are coming back in as buyers at around the 3,400 level. So, in fact, the northbound quotas, in other words, foreign money coming into China, have hit their limits in the last two or three days. CSRC, China Securities Regulatory Commission, thinks that this might be a little bit of market manipulation. Large selling taking place at the top of the market and then the same sellers coming back in as buyers at around the 3,400 level. How do you think this will all flow on to the Australian equity markets? It's obviously causing a bit of a shock. It's also related to, uh, to the Greek situation. The important thing to remember is that what's happening in the Shanghai market doesn't reflect what's happening in the underlying economy. I don't like that separation between the real economy and the market because the market is a very important part of the real economy. But the volatility that's taken place, this rapid fall that's taken place, is more driven by structural failures or structural mechanisms within the China market rather than any fundamental economic change. Yes, we are seeing a general slowdown in China. That's inevitable. You can't continue to grow at 6% plus uh, forever and forever. 6% it takes 12 years to double the size of your economy. It doesn't work that way. So growth will inevitably come down. The important feature is where that growth is going to be redirected. Now, although Australia tends to focus on China, we also need to focus on the broader picture of China's engagement within Asia through the Asian Infrastructure Investment Bank, AIIB. Because what China has decided is that a more effective use of its foreign reserves, rather than leave them with America, who maybe isn't what you would call China's best friend, <laughs> it's better 
to take that money and put it with people who are more friendly on a commercial basis. So we're going to see a rollout, progressive rollout, of large-scale infrastructure projects within Southeast Asia and possibly the top end of Australia. This is where the economy and the money is going to be flowing. And there are opportunities there for the Australian economy, if we're on the right ball, to participate in those. So if there's major infrastructure projects, who are you going to call when you're looking for iron ore, you're looking for all those sorts of things that help those projects develop? So Australia still has a role to play, but we've got to orientate ourselves correctly. And that means, for instance, that we need to take a more active role in the Asia Infrastructure Investment Bank in the board level. We need to be a bit more careful about what messages we're sending by involving Japan in the current uh, military exercises to the north of Darwin and so on. If we want to be included in this AIIB structure, then we have to be able to show that we're big enough and mature enough to understand the opportunities and to participate. Daryl, advice to traders in the markets. If we're looking at Australia, key problem with Australia is, if you look at XJO, it's in a downward sloping trend channel. And we simply rebound off the bottom of that channel, move up to the resistance level, the upper channel, and then react away from that again. <laughs> that's short-term high volatility trading. And that's one of the characteristics of the Australian market for the last 12 months. And that is high volatility within a trend. We don't have long-term trend stability. So the key problem is, where do you place your stops? To put your stops in that situation, your stops are so far away from your opening position that you've either got to take a very small position size to manage your risk or you take a gamble and say, well, I hope I'm right, it'll be okay, the stop's over there, it's not going to be hit. This is the gambler's market in Australia. It's not a trader's market, it's not an investor's market. So we stand aside. We simply don't really trade into the Australian market. We trade Forex instead because that's much safer. And the key thing is that Markets, a broad variety of markets and instruments are available, so you're no longer limited to trading just the Australian market. So what you're trying to look for, what we look for, is for the same sorts of opportunity repeated in different areas. So we go searching for the opportunity rather than searching for the market. Daryl Guppy, thank you for all your advice. No problems. Thank you very much. We now turn our attention to our second panellist, Jonathan Barrett. Jonathan's an economist and business news commentator. And here's what he had to say about the panic in China and the price of iron ore. Um, I think the most important thing to think of is that it's, it's not as much as a panic when you're a socialist market economy. There's been a string of activities which the PBOC and the government have put in place. They won't let the market collapse. That's just the way they are. Although they're trying to see that a free market would allow it to collapse. As a result of that, I think that you'll find that more measures will come to play that will help support the market. And I think as the, the, the dust settles, um, then you'll find the prices will start to return. Remember, a lot of the volume is on leverage. And as the market falls, that leverage precipitates more selling. And that's why you get that panic sale. All right, let's talk about the commodities front in the Australian market. It is really moving in some sectors. What's your assessment? I think the key there is the iron ore, what's happening in the iron ore market. We had a record fall down 11%, down around about 42 to 44 US dollars a dry tonne. Um, very interesting as to why that move happened so quickly. And I think that really has a lot to do with where people used iron ore as collateral for trading. So, in effect, it was a margin call and margin sales which caused it. I have seen the same in gold 
quite a few times when we get very large equity falls. And uh, I think because we've had that, the use of iron ore and copper as collateral, we've seen those markets under a lot of pressure. John O'Barrett, any advice to traders? I think generally just wait for the dust to settle before looking to get back into the market. And uh, I think that you will find that there are good opportunities, but uh, when the market's these volatiles, it's just better to preserve your capital until a clear trend evolves. Jonathan Barrett, thank you for your time. Thanks, Carolyn. And finally, we hear Chris Tate give us his thoughts on the world markets. Let's have a look at the China market first. What is happening over there? I think what you are seeing is a conflict between an immature market and runaway leverage. One of the things that is intriguing about China and the thing that people miss is the enormous scale and mass of what they do. Uh, That is simultaneously China's great advantage over the rest of the world, but it's also at the same time their great problem. Because the thing we have to remember about China is it's still a centrally directed economy. It is quite immature and lacks sophistication. And the scale of what is happening is staggering. I believe last week their market lost about $3.9 trillion in terms of wealth. Now, to put that into perspective, that is bigger than the GDP of every country on earth, but the US, Japan, Germany and, of course, China – it's actually twice the Australian GDP, and it's just, been, it's just disappeared inside a week. What, there are 1,400 companies in suspension, and there's still, what, 250 or 230 billion in margin loans still outstanding. So you have this market that's had runaway rampant speculation, but which is not coped to deal with it. And we've now got this problem of regulators trying to catch up and trying to do something about it. But the problem is that in doing so, they've probably put China back a decade. Let's go to Europe now and the Greek crisis, which still at this point hasn't been resolved. What are your thoughts about there? Oh, dear God. Uh, (laughs) Greece is an intriguing case. The, The thing that amazes me is the profound overreaction to Greece and the underreaction to China. Locally, we've been having a reaction to China for some time because we've been picking up the ripples of what's occurring internally. But intriguingly enough, our news is dominated by what's happening in Greece. Now, let's put this into some sort of context that people understand. Greece is the equivalent of burning down the local milk bar. China is the equivalent of nuking a city the size of Melbourne or Sydney. The two don't compare in scale. And I'm intrigued at this immense overreaction that we're having to uh, the problems of this tin pot little island in the middle of the Mediterranean. Yes, they've got financial problems. Yes, they owe the Europeans a lot of money. Uh, But so what? Is it unusual to see two crises in the markets at the same time? It It is a remarkable alignment of incompetence. And it is not something that I would expect to see again in my lifetime. Normally you see one group being profoundly incompetent and that's it. Uh, Now we've got two groups of complete idiots creating an enormous amount of damage. Uh, All we need now is somebody else and we've got the trifecta of the three stooges running around amok in the world's financial markets. (laughs) How do you think the China crisis will flow onto the Australian markets? One, One of the problems that 
China is going to face is that they've put themselves back in terms of being a, a free and open market, probably a decade. So no one's going to want to invest in China. Why would you invest in a stock market where it's quite possible that you can buy something but never be allowed to sell it, which is a situation that's evolving at present, whereby even if you do attempt to sell it, you might actually get a visit from the police. This opacity and inability of the Chinese to act in any way that we would consider to be under the rules of law is a problem. In terms of the way it will flow through, the problem we have is this two-tiered market we have. Because my hope is that, not hope, I shouldn't say, hope's, hope's not the right word. One possible scenario is that a lot of equity investment that will go into China will bypass China now and will look for a more stable home in the Asia-Pacific region. Uh, the really only other stable places are Japan, which has been in a bear market now for coming on three decades, uh, Hong Kong, which is caught in the maelstrom of China and us. The problem we have, though, is we only have two tiers or two planks to our economy or our equities markets. We have banks, we have mining companies, and that's it. We, we have nothing else. China, unfortunately, doesn't want the things we're digging out of the ground, nor does anybody else. And our banks have run their course as hard and as far as you can for four vast companies inside a very small market. So we will continue to suffer from these ripples coming out of China and the China slowdown. That will just be our fate, unfortunately. Let's look at the equity markets this week in Australia. What is performing? Now you've asked a really good question. It's more a question of what is not performing as bad as everybody else. So it's degrees of, uh, think of it this way, if you're falling from 10,000 feet and you're overtaken by somebody who's also fallen from 15,000 feet, you're both going to hit the ground. One of you, though, is performing slightly better than the other. You're still both going to hit the ground and go splat. At present in the Australian market, we are very listless and very flat. We will get a bounce out of these bits and pieces occurring in China. That's just natural. The, the moment volatility uh, washes out of the system a little bit, you'll get a little bit of a fill-up bounce. But the problem is we're still going sideways. And until we do something to break out of that range-bound nature, we, we are still effectively in this moribund, stuffed market. Whilst the markets are so volatile, what would you recommend traders do over the next coming weeks? Again, we come back to the question of diversification. Uh, and it's, that, it's that age-old question. Simply buying stocks with different names is not being diversified. That's the sort of idiot thing a financial planner will tell you to do. Diversification is different markets over different time frames, which means traders are forced, simply by circumstance and nothing else, to look at foreign exchange and commodity markets. They're just forced to go there. There is little point trying to be a stock picker in a market that is going nowhere because the market will only give you what it has to give. And if it's got nothing to give, you will just sit there. Think of it this way. You could be the world's best surfer, but if you're stuck out on a mill pond, you're not going to move. There's nothing you can do to make it move. Chris Tate, any advice to traders? Wear a crash helmet. And if you're involved in China, get out your cricket box. <laughs> Chris Tate, thanks for your time. Thanks, Caroline. 
And that's all we have for you today, guys. Stay tuned next week for Cross of Valor recipient Alan Sparks on overcoming hardship and the power of pursuing your deepest dreams. I'm Caroline Stephen, and on behalf of the team, thanks for your company. We'll see you next time. You've been listening to TalkingTrading.com.au with Caroline Stephen. Make sure you are subscribed to this website to receive the very latest market views, commentary and expert opinion. Tune in next week as we've got a bumper show planned. Bye for now. The views represented on Talking Trading are general in nature and do not take into account your objectives, financial situation or needs. Before acting on any of the information, consider its appropriateness in regard to your own situation.